today, today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. And that's found on page 1026 in the Church Bible. The birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Zechariah's song. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to have you with us here. And uh, I want to start just by looking back to when I was born. When I was born, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, pushed very hard <laughs> to have me called Samson. Samson. Her side of the family was descended from a family of French executioners called Samson. And one of my father's middle names was Samson. And grandmother was insistent that my name should be Samson. But my mother put her foot down, and I'm very grateful that she did. Call him Samson, said my grandmother. And my mother said, no, no, he is to be called Hugh. And apparently she was pretty annoyed. Now there's something like that going on here in Luke 1. Names matter. We saw, if you were with us over the last couple of weeks, we saw earlier in Luke uh, how the angel Gabriel gave Zechariah a wonderful promise. The promise of a son. Gave Zechariah the promise of a son. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were both very old. 
Elizabeth had been unable to have children. So you have some sympathy with Zechariah when he found God's promise of a child pretty hard to believe. Because, well, I guess it really did sound kind of unlikely. But nothing is impossible with God. And God gave Zechariah the promise of a son, and he told Zechariah there in the temple that his name was to be John. And when Zechariah didn't believe it, he was unable to speak. Maybe, maybe God didn't want him running around talking about his doubts. Anyway, here we are. Elizabeth does give birth, and she does have a son. And we read in verse 57, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. So, hooray! A son for Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they follow the Old Testament law. They do what they ought to do. They bring him to be baptized, to be circumcised, I mean, bring him to be circumcised eh, when he was eight days old. And the family and friends are there and they're all set to name him Zechariah because that's what you did. You named your baby son after his father or his grandfather. And then Elizabeth drops this bombshell, verse 60. No, his mother spoke up, no, he is to be called John. John. Why on earth John? Don't you care about tradition, Elizabeth? Isn't this going to be a bit of a kick in the teeth to the rest of the family? You don't imagine your husband Zechariah is going to go along with that, do you? So, we read in verse 62, they made signs to Zechariah, because Zechariah isn't just speechless, he's deaf as well. They make signs to him. Maybe Zechariah doesn't know his wife has gone off the rails and blurted out this maverick name. So, they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. And Zechariah can't speak, so they give him a writing tablet, and everyone waits for him to write, his name is Zechariah Jr., obviously. And then everyone can breathe a sigh of relief. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Not, not just his name shall be drawn, or maybe we could talk about calling him John. This sounds more like a done deal. His name is John already, and everyone's astounded. And now Zechariah's deafness and dumbness are removed. Verse 64, his mouth was opened, his tongue was set free, and he began to speak praising God. And what had been a sort of, well, I guess a sort of punishment for Zechariah's lack of faith, now becomes a sign confirming that what Zechariah and Elizabeth have said about the boy's name is right. Now, we're not used to naming our children in order to convey a message, not most of the time, although I shudder to think what people would have thought if I had been Samson. But all over the Bible, people are given names that are significant. Eve means giver of life. Delilah means temptress. Ruth means friend. They, they, they all fitted their lives. And there are lots of them. You could go on and on. And already in Luke's gospel, we've seen a couple of Sundays ago, when the birth of Jesus was announced to Mary, the angel told her, 
you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. So what does Jesus mean? Well, Jesus means the Lord saves. And John? What does John mean? John means Jehovah has been gracious. And God has been gracious, hasn't he? There's a, <clears throat> there's a pattern of miraculous births that run through the Bible. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was, was old. She was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. And here's Elizabeth, and she's old and infertile. And now she's given birth to John. And Mary, well, Mary had never even slept with a man, and now she's pregnant with Jesus. So often, when God is going to do something really important in salvation history, he makes it crystal clear it can only happen because he steps into human affairs. Who can give a barren woman a baby? Only God. Who can bring new life? Only God. Now, Elizabeth's family and friends recognize that this baby John then is something out of the ordinary. And we see in verse 66, they're asking, what then is this child going to be? And I think many parents feel that their first child is, is somehow special and they have all sorts of dreams and plans for them. But this baby, this, this baby truly is remarkable, isn't he? Born to an old and infertile woman, promised by none other than the angel Gabriel, and then named specifically to point to God's grace. But wonderful as all that is, it's not an end in itself. And now we discover that the birth of John is a signpost, a signpost pointing to an even more wonderful birth, pointing to the birth of Jesus. God's promise from down the centuries is about to be fulfilled as Jesus is born and comes to save us. And in fact, the, the whole life of, of, John and, of Zechariah and Elizabeth's son, John, is going to be about pointing to another son, the son about to be born to Mary. Thirty years later, John will say of Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. The promise of our son for Zechariah and Elizabeth points us to the promise of the son, Jesus. This son is going to be the fulfillment of every promise God ever made. That's what Paul wrote in Corinthians. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Now, all of us have failed to keep promises. Well, we have, haven't we? Maybe we forgot to. Maybe we weren't able to. Maybe we just really honestly didn't want to. God always keeps his promises. And every promise God made through all of old, the Old Testament centuries, all of them were pointing forward to this. So Noah was saved from the flood. Israel was saved from the Red Sea. God's people were saved out of Babylon. But there was all pointing forwards to God's great rescue plan. So here is Jesus. And he's about to be born. But John is born. And we read in verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. 
Well, there's loads of prophets in the Old Testament, but this prophet Zechariah is hugely significant. It's the first prophecy for over 300 years. An Old Testament prophet also called Zechariah brought God's message to his people about 330 BC. And you can read Zechariah's prophecy in the second last book of our Old Testament. But that was over 300 years ago. And God, <clears throat> God hasn't spoken to his people since then. And now here's another Zechariah who speaks up. Zechariah the doubter in the temple became, becomes Zechariah the prophet. And he declares the good news of the arrival of the Messiah. <clears throat> and verses 68 to 79 are what are often called the Benedictus. It's a Latin word for blessed. So Zechariah's prophecy starts off in verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Literally, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. It's a, a celebration as Jesus' birth is anticipated. Back in verses 46 to 55, Mary spoke what is usually known as the Magnificat. And it starts off in verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord. Literally, my soul magnifies the Lord, makes his name great. And now Zechariah declares the Benedictus, God's people celebrating what God has done. And of course, that's the right thing for us to be doing at Christmas, isn't it? God's people celebrate what God has done. That, that's what we're about to do this week, isn't it? There are some Christians who refuse to celebrate Christmas. And of course, we do need to resist the, the overindulgence and the overspending and the materialism that goes on all around us. But it's right, isn't it, for us to celebrate Christmas. With Mary, we magnify God's grace to us, our, our Magnificat. With Zechariah, we praise God for what he's done our Benedictus. And as we look at what Zechariah said in the Benedictus, it falls into two parts. Verses 68 to 75 are about Jesus, and verses 76 to 79 are addressed to Zechariah's son, John, the one who's going to become known as John the Baptist. And there are, there are lots of parallels, aren't there, between Jesus and John. Both their births were announced to their parents by the angel Gabriel. Both their births were miraculous. Both their parents sang a song, Mary's Magnificat, Zechariah's Benedictus. So people saw what had happened and they asked, what is this child going to be? And the Benedictus answers the people's question. Zechariah sings about Jesus yet to be born. Now, some of the songs and prophecies in the Bible are set out in a particular form, and it helps us to understand them when we recognize that. And Zechariah's song follows a pattern that people call a chiasm. Here's what a chiasm looks like. It's a symmetrical pattern where the first line and the last lines, A, are parallel, and the second line and the second last line, B, are parallel, and so on. But here's the point. The single line at the center of the chiasm is what it's all about. 
So if we take a look at Zechariah's Benedictus, verse 68, he has come. Verse 78, the rising sun will come. Verse 68, come to his people. Verse 78, to give his people knowledge. Verse 69, salvation for us. Verse 77, the knowledge of salvation. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. And then the middle of the chiasm, here's what it's all about. Verse 72, to remember his holy covenant. It all points to what's in the center, God's covenant. Now I'm guessing that you maybe, that maybe a covenant isn't what springs to your mind as you come to celebrate Christmas. Covenant literally means a bond or a fetter. It was a a treaty between a a strong party and a weaker party, maybe a a king or an emperor and, and an ordinary person. And a covenant says, I'll look after you and I'll protect you if you follow the conditions of this covenant. But if you disobey, there'll be fearful consequences. And that's exactly what God did in the Old Testament law. If you obey me, you will be blessed. If you disobey the law, you will be cursed. It was a covenant. And the Jews couldn't keep God's covenant, and neither can we. But when we desired nothing but God's punishment and wrath, he fulfilled our side of the covenant for us. That first Christmas day, God sent his own son as a man. And when Jesus grew up, he obeyed the demands of the covenant perfectly. And he suffered the penalties of the covenant for our disobedience on our behalf on the cross. When John the Baptist was born, people asked, what is this child going to be? And the answer was the forerunner, the herald the one who points people to Jesus. And maybe, maybe you need to be asking the same question this Christmas about Jesus. What is this child going to be? Who is this child? And the answer is wonderful. Jesus was going to be God walking on this earth. Jesus was going to be the one human being who lived a perfect life on our behalf. Jesus was going to die on the cross to pay for you and me trying to live as if God didn't exist. Jesus is going to fulfill the covenant for us. And that's what we celebrate at this time of year. Not just a cute little baby in a manger, but someone who is going to do all of that for you and me. You know, for quite a lot of people, Christmas is a time that gets them into debt the the presents, the parties, all that goes on. Listen, for Christians, Christmas gets us out of debt. Christmas gets us out of debt as God's Son is born to fulfill all God's demands, fulfill the covenant for us. No wonder the angels burst through the clouds to sing when Jesus was born. No wonder the the shepherds abandoned their flocks in the fields and came to have a look. No wonder the wise men traveled hundreds of miles with gifts for the baby Jesus. The birth of Jesus was a day of, of, of cosmic discontinuity. It divided B.C. from A.D. 
It divided our Old Testament from our New Testament as God fulfilled his promise and Jesus arrived in our world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, said the psalmist. And now here is God coming to live that life amongst us here in this world as a man. To create worlds and galaxies cost God nothing at all. He just spoke the word and they came into being. But to redeem us, to save us, to rescue us, oh, all heaven must be moved. The Lord of glory must be born as a baby and grow up as a man and suffer and bleed and agonize and die for us. John the Baptist's whole life is going to be devoted to pointing people to Jesus. And Christmas is a great opportunity for us to do the same, to point people to Jesus. There's an old hymn by William Howe that starts like this. It is a thing most wonderful, almost too wonderful to be, that God's own son should come from heaven and die to save a child like me. What great good news to share with, the, with those around you at Christmas. Let me finish with a little part of John Betjeman's poem about Christmas. And let's just reflect on how God wonderfully fulfilled his promises to us at Christmas. And is it true? And is it true? This most tremendous tale of all Seen in a stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea become a child on earth for me. And it is true. It is true. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, stir us up to praise you like Mary to make your name great, like Zechariah to bless your name. Forgive us when we get so over-familiar with Christmas that we almost forget what it's all about. Forgive us when we get taken up with all the parties and eating and holidays and all the rest of it. Help us to stand back in, in wonder and ask with the people we read about when Zechariah's son John was born, what is this baby? Who is he? What is he going to do? Father, help us to delight in your wonderful plan of salvation bursting into history 2,000 years ago and to worship you this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.